Hi, I'm Chance. And I'm Sarah Catherine. And this is Conservation Connection. Presented by Last Chance Endeavors. We run a wildlife education nonprofit focused on connecting students to their environment. Each week here on Conservation Connection, we do just that by introducing you to the groundbreaking science and conservation work that's happening every day around the country. We talk to professionals in the world of conservation science and wildlife management and ask them about their career, their current projects, their wild and crazy stories from the field, and everything in between. Join us each week to discover just how these dedicated people are working to protect our planet. Alrighty guys, welcome to another episode of Conservation Connection. We are here at the Nature Now Film Festival in Columbus, Georgia. Very excited to be recording right here where we live. We are in the beating heart of the film festival right now in the production room. So if you're listening and you hear some sounds that you don't usually hear, that's because we are right in the thick of it. So we're very excited today to be sitting down with Benjamin Dimmitt. He is a landscape photographer. He's from Florida um, and he's got a really cool show going on here in Columbus right now. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. We are very happy that you had time to join us. Um, So why don't you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about the show that you have here in Columbus? It's an exhibit of 10 black and white landscape photographs taken in the Chazowitzka National Wildlife Refuge on the Gulf Coast of Florida, about 70 miles north of Tampa. It's a part of the Florida Gulf Coast where there are no beaches, so... As the sea levels have risen uh, over the last 10 plus years, or in reality, 4,000 years, the climate change related sea level rise has pushed saltwater back up into freshwater estuaries. And the impact that that has had is uh, all the uh, flora has died from saltwater poisoning. And uh, the only trees remaining are the most salt-tolerant, which are palm trees, oddly enough. They're the last to go in this ecosystem. And um, the saltwater intrusion has been helped by excessive pumping from the reservoirs uh, or aquifers uh, that the state has permitted. And and when you start to pull the fresh water out of the aquifer and sell it to uh, big businesses, then the Gulf water comes in even faster. So it's sort of this combination of sea levels are rising, which is pushing saltwater further and further into estuarine systems. And we're removing freshwater out of the equation, which allows more of the saltwater to come in and take its place, right? So it's kind of this this two-pronged problem. One is of a relatively short-term human-caused problem, and the other is a much longer-term human-sped-up problem. Yes, exactly. So you went out and took photographs to document the effects of this, right? Yes. I've been photographing there since the late 80s. And um, the way I work and a lot of other uh, fine art photographers work is to um, start a project and work on it for a period of time. And uh, back in 2004, I said to myself, this place seems a little... Um, vulnerable here. And I started a project that included the Chazowitzka uh, swamp, but also other low-lying areas in Florida that I felt were vulnerable to development, uh, storms, and sea level rise. But I kind of figured sea level rise was something that would be taking place a long long time from now. And uh, lo and behold, that actually started happening around 2014. The 
evidence of it was I can see now in some of my photographs from 2010, 2012. But um, in 2014, when I came to shoot there, I was mortified. There was widespread um, devastation, ghost force already beginning. So I spent the last seven years photographing this in this only and started um, making side-by-side photographs showing some uh, landscape that I'd shot in, let's say, 1986. And I would go and re-photograph the same spot. And um, now, 2020, 21, this year, last year, or f- uh, for the last six or eight years, so that in the exhibit here, I have a couple of side-by-side photographs of the same spot showing the devastation. And I think that's so critical because humans, we are so so bad at perceiving creeping threats, right? Things that take a very long time to show effects, but are are ultimately devastating. That's why we have such an issue taking real, making real changes for for the climate crisis that we're dealing with right now, because it happens over the course of decades or years, as opposed to like, oh, you know, it was a hurricane that we saw destroy something. A, a one-off. Right, thing, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. So, that you are documenting and showing side by side so you can see it together is absolutely critical in getting people to say, oh, this really is a problem. It is happening right now. This isn't a future problem. This is a now problem. Exactly. The the whole project was, A, a surprise to me that this was happening because in in college a long, long time ago, um, it was something that would be in the future. And um, the future is now. This is happening. Uh, I have a book being published by the University of Georgia uh, next fall. And um, since it's an academic press, I have to have scientists involved uh, with real uh, studies. And um, part of my talk yesterday at the gallery involved um, those didactics like graphs and aerial photography. And um, the scientists has got even satellite photography tracing the increase in uh, deforestation. This is a really interesting conversation to have because so often we have people who've been in their field come on the show, who've been in the field for 30 or so years. And I like to ask the question, how have you seen this field or this place that you're working? How have you seen it change over the years? But for you, you're literally documenting it like that is what you're doing. So it's interesting to hear you talk about just that's basically what the conversation is. How has this landscape changed over the years? Well, there are only 10 images of mine in the gallery. Um, two of them are the diptychs, aside by their pairs of photographs. Uh, one of those two is from uh, 1986, with the before photograph. And the follow-up was done, I think, in 2020 or 2021, 46 years. Um, and it's um, very straightforward. The book will have 15 of these uh, side-by-side diptychs and um, has 80-some-odd images. Uh, A lot of them are older photographs from my archives that aren't paired up. They're just showing what the before looked like, Um, lush, primeval, uh, very dense um, ferns and bromeliads hanging off of trees and just a lot of wildlife. And now it's uh, a barren. And um, very few trees left. If you go very close to the springs, you will see uh, somewhat what it looked like, but the water is not 
bright, uh, brilliant blue like it was 30 years ago. Um, the aquifer is now having salt water getting into it. So that's a big problem. That's a big problem. And um, it's happening. Another thing that's getting into the water is um, nitrates from fertilizer from places like the villages, which is a big active adult retirement community that has 50 golf courses. And it's on the same oh my gosh. spring shed, the same if when they throw their fertilizer in, it goes into the aquifer and creates a lot of um, algae, toxic algae, which then kills everything. Yeah, absolutely. So what is your background? Did you train as a photographer in school or is it something that... All I know how to do. Uh, <laughs> I've been doing it. I th- uh, Recently, someone said, how long have you been doing this uh, in general? And I said, well, I got a camera from my mother... Uh, a good 35 millimeter camera in uh, 1972 for a, a birthday, uh, which I won't calculate. <laughs> and um, went off to college. When I finished college I, uh, in Florida, I went to New York City and lived and worked there until 2014. And um, I have photographed a lot uh, in Florida over the years. And uh, like I said, this was a favorite project. Um, because it was so uh, lush and beautiful and, and unusual. There weren't a lot of places with this, but um, it's I'm a landscape photographer. Yeah. And I shoot black and white film. So as a completely personal aside, uh, <laughs> I was the last class at my high school to learn on 35 millimeter film. Our, our photography, I'm, I'm not a photographer by trade or professional or anything, but I do like taking pictures. Mm-hmm. And I learned with a dark room and uh, enlargers and like all of that. And I really wish that there was a place that I could do that as a hobby still, because I really enjoy the medium of analog 35 millimeter. It's just, it's very different to me from a SD card that I can put 1500 shots on. You know, I, I have to be way less calculating about it. Do you still shoot 35 millimeter or do you shoot digital or a blend? I shoot medium format. Okay. So I've got, uh, uh, used Hasselblad that I bought. We're going to geek out here a little? Okay. A little bit. Do it, do it, do it, do it. I have a uh, used medium format camera. It happens to be a Hasselblad. They're very good cameras. And um, a bag full of lenses. And um, I learned that I needed to, learn very quickly that I needed to shoot high-speed film in order to hand-hold um, the heavy Hasselblad camera. So I have a in the canoe with me, um, a dry box, um, and in there is the camera bag, and it's got a, an array of film for some when I need a tripod and some when I'm shooting um, handheld from the canoe. Um, it doesn't matter what you shoot, I don't really think, but this is what I'm comfortable with, and it's what I've been doing for 50 years. I've, I know how to shoot digitally. I don't enjoy it um, as much, and I'll be teaching landscape class at Penland uh, later, actually it's next month, and I'll be teaching both. Uh, I taught both in New York at the International Center of Photography, but landscape is landscape, but this is what I prefer. And the only time I break out 35 millimeter cameras now is when I'm reshooting a scene. If you go to the exhibit at the Do Good Fund, you'll see um, a side by side, a, a diptych, and the original was shot in, what did I guess, 1986, um, with an icon. 
Mm. And when I went down to reshoot that, um, I had the that same old Nikon um, cleaned and adjusted and checked and shot with it in 2020. That's super cool. <laughs> That's amazing. I love. I don't know. There's just some. There's so much more that goes into a photograph than the image that you know the final image that you see. You know, you're saying that you have ten images on display yeah. here. That's ten times that you push the shutter button, but it is also so many more times that you spent. And these are just the ten that you wanted to put on display. Um, they asked me. The Do Good Fund asked me several months ago um, to submit work. They wanted to have my work um, on exhibit during the Nature Now Festival, and I was pleased. I had been here in November of last year and met um, the folks who run this. And um, I sent them probably 20 or 30 images and let them decide. They asked for a a selection, Mm -hmm. and um, these are the ones that they wanted. That's awesome. So I sent them what I like and what I thought would be uh, appealing to this audience. So two questions. How do you choose where you shoot? And so you've been shooting the same area for 30 years or so, you've said? 30. I, when I get, <clears throat> when it comes to the uh, the diptych, the rephotographic diptychs, um, the oldest shots, I think, are 1986. Okay. But I've been working on this project about the devastation, um, the ecosystem loss since um, 2014. Okay. So how did you decide on this location? Did someone tell you like, hey, this would be a great place? Or did oh, you just I've happen? Been, I've been going there since the since 1977. Oh, okay. A friend of mine asked my brother and me if we wanted to go fishing. He said, there's this cool place a um, couple hours up the road. And we, uh, we went and I'd never seen... Um, wetlands like this. It's um, springs coming up out of the earth and going through hardwood hammocks and out into mixed brackish situation and then on out into the Gulf of Mexico. And it was gorgeous. I didn't go up again in 1977. The next time I went was 1986. So I uh, enjoyed it there and uh, had gone a few times. But then in 2004, I just committed to doing a project about the place, and then in 2014, uh, I couldn't look away from what was happening. Yeah. Uh, so I just focused on, um, as a friend calls it, the death and destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure after 10 years of that, you're like, well, I'm pretty committed to this now. And like you feel, I would feel like I have to see it through. So well, sounds like that's how you feel. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about um, when you draw it to a close is um, when you get a publishing deal, the, the time period closes, and um, everything is at the publishers now. Uh, so nothing, if I were to go down and shoot tomorrow. It I, won't it, make it in the book. It won't make it in the book. I will probably continue to go there and uh, add work to it because I'd like to tour the exhibit at museums, especially in the southeast. And um, there's always more <laughs> devastation to shoot. And mm. I like going there. Yeah. A friend has a cabin and a canoe, and that's what I spend my time in. That's awesome. So what is – is there a working title for the book or is there a yes. – fun? So what's yeah. the title of the book? Um, an Unflinching Look. Ooh, provocative. Yeah. Uh, the book has a subtitle because that's 
what they need to have. That's not very specific. Right. So um, <laughs> it is, that's what I've called the project since, since the beginning. Um, the subtitle is an um, Elegy for Wetlands. Ooh. So it's an unflinching look, full colon, Elegy for Wetlands. Awesome. If somebody wanted to um, see some of your work, somebody who's listening to the podcast right now, is there a link that we could drop in the show notes? Yes. BenjaminDimmitt.com is my website. And Dimmitt is spelled D-I-M-M-I-T-T. So if you guys are listening and you wanted to check out some of Benjamin's work, scroll down to the show notes right now. You guys can click on that link. I'm going to put it right there so you can go straight from listening to this to seeing some of his work. And the portfolio online is called An Unflinching Look. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing some of your works while it's here in town at the Do Good Fund and uh, to seeing this book when it comes out. Really looking forward to that. Me too. Uh, <laughs> it's been a lot of work and it's I nice to have imagine. it in their hands now. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conservation Connection. If you enjoyed our podcast, go ahead and subscribe to make sure you catch every episode that we post. We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to reach out, go to our website, lastchanceendeavors.com backslash contact and shoot us an email. We love questions from our listeners. So if you heard something that you want to know more about, be sure to let us know. If you've got a minute to spare, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts will help other conservation-minded people find the show. We'd really appreciate it. A big thanks to the people working to protect our planet and a big thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week.